Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Misty, and this is Lattes and Legends. Hello! It's been forever. I know. It's fine. I've been doing a lot of travels and I'm about to do more, so I decided I should probably record a podcast. Here I am. It's a beautiful Saturday afternoon, and I'm having my two o'clock cup of coffee. Yes, it's actually this that concoction I always tell you guys about that's the instant one. Today, let's take a sip. Mmm. Came out pretty good. So yeah, how's everybody doing? Lots of music and festivals and whatnot for me and lots of work. And so that's been keeping me busy. So I do apologize for not getting an episode out sooner. But I'm here right now. And um, this might be, I don't know. You might not hear from me in a couple of weeks because I have a lot of work I need to do still to help prepare for my Labor Day trip, which happens annually. And so, yeah, you won't hear from me probably until after Labor Day. Sorry. But good news is website is up and running, doing great. Lattesandlegendspodcast.com. And yeah, good times. I've been trying to catch up on other podcasts and shows and movies that people keep telling me to watch books and I just I'm having a hard time with it I'm sorry it's uh when I work I'm on my computer constantly so the idea of watching a movie or a show after I'm done on my computer it makes me not want to do it because I don't have a television, I just have a computer and a tablet and a phone, so I don't want to look at those devices anymore after I work. That's all I do. So that's why I haven't been watching these things. But I did watch a, I guess a docu-series about the catfishing scandal of, oh, what's his name? Manti Teo or whatever. That was really good. It's on Netflix. You should watch it. That's about all I've got. Ooh, I also started American Horror Stories. So, hold on. Sip of coffee. Delightful. Anyway, not like you guys wanted to hear me sipping coffee. So, let's dive into some stuff. So, we're still doing um, cryptids. And I was feeling really lazy when I was doing the research, so I picked two cryptids that everyone probably knows. I picked the Mothman and the Yeti. 
boring, right? Not really. They're fun. I like the Mothman stories. I liked the Mothman movie. I really want to go to the Mothman festival at some point in my life. I think that would be amazing. Anyway, let's go. Let's talk about the Mothman. So sources for the Mothman come from science.howstuffworks.com, all that's interesting.com, themothmanmuseum.com, mothmanfestival.com, wvtourism.com, folklife.si.edu, and thenerdist.com. Ugh, the Nerdist. Man, I miss that podcast. I guess it's called something else now. I like the website. Anyway, so let's talk about the Mothman. So, this all went down in the town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Heard of it? I'm sure you have. There's movies about it. There's everything. When I lived in Virginia, um, we would go to West Virginia sometimes. I don't think we ever went to Point Pleasant, but I don't know. Personally, West Virginia gave me the heebie-jeebies. And I don't know if it was just personal or what, but I wasn't a fan. The drive's beautiful, but I wasn't a fan. Anyway, so Point Pleasant offers its residents a landscape once claimed for France in the 17th century. And it was a namesake battle site in the Revolutionary War. And also claims that there is a humanoid moth-like creature with glowing eyes that lives there. People in Point Pleasant think of the Mothman as a local treasure. All right, so the Mothman has has been seen many, many times in Point Pleasant, but it all began in 1966. You ready? 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 All right. So according to theories, it was on November 15th, 1966, that the Mothman emerged from either the depths of hell or the upper echelons of space. I took a quick pause because as I was reading through my notes again, I thought I had done this one before, but I realized that was the first episode of this season about the Van Meter visitors, so they are quite similar. Oh, that was good. I didn't want to research anything else today. Anyway, so the Mothman either came from hell or space, so he's either an alien or he's a demon. What if he's both? Hmm. So... Roger and Linda Scarberry and Steve and Mary Mallet were all driving together on Route 62, and this was near an abandoned National Guard armory building and power plant. That's when they saw him, a menacing figure standing six to seven feet tall. Ooh, yikes. All right, uh, in the headlights, his giant eyes were bright red. So, of course, these panicked, and Roger, who was driving the car, sped away toward town. Just when they thought they lost him, he followed them. Oh, no, why? That's creepy. According to these first eyewitness accounts, the, quote, thing rose up like a helicopter. Mm, 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 mm. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, they did say he was a clumsy runner, 
because they saw him running at the power plant, but he was really good at gliding and keeping the pace of the car, which apparently reached 100 miles per hour. So, I don't know a lot about cars. In 1966, could cars go 100 miles an hour? Just a question, just a little question. Yeah, okay. So, the creature's debut ruffled the town's feathers and made for a very uncertain and unsure headline the next day. The headline was, Couple see man-sized bird, dot, 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 creature, dot, 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 something. Ooh, that's really intelligent, guys. <laughs> so, rather than raising pitchforks and torches for several nights, the townspeople made way with their hunting rifles and they're like, oh, Find this creature. Gonna find him. Kill the creature. You know how things go. You've seen the movies. So during the reports around town, many other people said that they had started seeing the strange creature and that he was chasing cars, lurking outside of homes, and stealing dogs. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the day before those couples saw him, it was possible that he stopped at Newell Partridge's house in Salem, West Virginia, because this account is in John Keel's book from 1975. Oh, you've heard of it called The Mothman Prophecies. Oh, you heard of it? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So this book tells of a German shepherd named Bandit who bolted into the woods after seeing two glowing circles. Hmm. How do we know that's why he ran into the woods? He's a dog. He can't tell us, right? Right? No? Okay. So Partridge says he looked for Bandit, but he saw nothing but paw prints going in circles, and then they vanished. Okay. All right. So we don't know if that is the first encounter with Mothman or the couples in the car was the first encounter. It's all a little touch and go, but we know how these stories go, right? Mm-hmm. So... There was a journalist that worked with the Athens, Ohio, Ohio Messenger, and her name was Mary Heyer, and basically her newspaper was the Northern Neighbors of Point Pleasant, and so she also would find herself covering things that came from Point Pleasant, like Mothman. So the first article she wrote was called Winged Red-Eyed Thing Chases Point Pleasant Couples Across Countryside. Again, these titles are just amazing. Red-Eyed Thing, you put Red-Eyed Thing in your newspaper title? All right, that's cool. So she then joined forces with John Keel, we talked about him, and that's when they started to record these really odd occurrences. And then there was a movie that came out in 2002. Yeah, that's when it really, really started to get crazy and Point Pleasant. So when the movie came out, Point Pleasant was really like, oh, we kind of feel like we haven't had any sightings lately. I think the last one they said was in December of 1967. So, you know, all of these, quote, sightings, they didn't really add up. You know, the movie was great for Point Pleasant, and it was really great for the whole Mothman idea. But then... Some other things started happening. Yeah. 
So back in 2019, accounts of a flying creature in Chicago hit the news. And this started another paranormal creature craze. Even NPR did an inquiry called The Case of the Chicago Mothman. And so a lot of people thought, hmm, maybe the Mothman flew away to Chicago. Could I have that? I don't know. And then there was another story of the Mothman that happened in dark woods and dirt roads. And this was in 2006. Jeff Walmsley, a Point Pleasant native who grew up listening to these stories, opened, you guessed it, the Mothman Museum. He wanted to showcase all the archival materials that he had assembled. And this collection also features um, police reports, witness accounts, all that good stuff. Yes. Who doesn't love a cryptid museum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Walmsley was only six years old when the Mothman was first spoken about. And he also has written two books about the subject. Um, one is called Mothman Facts Behind the Legend. And that was from 2001. And then one is called Mothman Behind the Red Eyes. And that is from 2005. So in Walmsley's museum... There's History of the Mothman, and there's also the annual Mothman Festival. Apparently, every year it just gets bigger and bigger. I mean, we got to check this out. I'm over in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. (laughs) Um, So he has had this festival for a few years. He didn't have it during the pandemic because, you know, pandemic. Uh, but he has welcomed crowds of over 15,000 people. Yeah, and the town is less than 5,000 people. So that's crazy how many people come out for this. Mothman and the legacy of Mothman has also found his way onto T-shirts, local cafe cookies, and plenty of Etsy shops. Oh, you guys have seen it, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Wamsley says... Quote, I think the Mothman story is timeless. It's never been fully solved or proven as to what these people are seeing. People come here to see for themselves and to investigate on their own, to make up their own minds. Everybody has their own theory. It's all part of the town's history. Oh, Mothman. Crazy, right? (laughs) So... I have so many quotes about the Mothman, but I'm feeling very lazy. Uh, That's where I am right now. So basically, Point Pleasant has become the prime destination of dark tourism because of the Mothman stories. Mm -hmm. And many of the locals um, give mentions to the men in black and extraterrestrial life forms, and they all have conspiracy theories. So, tourism has boomed because of the Mothman. For those who come to Point Pleasant, they'll see Mothman memorabilia, crafts, pastries, all kinds of stuff in the Point Pleasant downtown district. It's crazy, right? So, you know, outsiders have their own theories about the Mothman, but then the natives really do pour themselves into this famous cryptid, you know, like Walmsley, he made the museum and the festival and 
clearly he's making his living off a of cryptid, which is that crazy? I think it might be, but I mean, I'm here for it. I just, uh, I hope he does well with this and yeah. So yeah, that's the story of the Mothman, short and sweet. I, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So I have a couple of explanations as to what it is. Okay, so there are a number, number of possible explanations for the original sightings. Those early reports frequently called the Mothman bird-like, and they focused on its red eyes. There are some local scientists that believed it to be nothing but a large heron. Hmm, okay. One specific doctor of science was Dr. Robert L. Smith oh. of West Virginia University. He believed that the locals had seen a large sandhill crane, which is a large bird with a 10-foot wingspan, and it has red markings around its eyes. The bird is not native to West Virginia, but some people say it will occasionally make its way into the state. Hmm. Okay, sure. Others took this theory even further, and they speculated that toxins from a nearby TNT area has mutated a sandhill crane. And this is why it has a glowing appearance and large size. So it's like a toxic Avenger mutated crane. Sure. I mean, that's possible. There's always theories and I like to hear all of them, but that's what I got for theories. So is the Mothman real or just a result of mass hysteria? Hmm. The real culprit here most likely seems to be mass hysteria. The phenomenon that occurs when a cohesive group experiences a disturbance in the nervous system that causes an unconscious response. Hmm. There are plenty of cases of even more mass hysteria recorded through history, but it's often attributed to folklore and, yes, you guessed it, urban legends. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's possible that a big bird scared some people in West Virginia in the 60s and the whole town freaked out and they greeted the Mothman. And guess what? Mothman is still there, alive and well. Even if he's not real, he's there. The museum, the festival, you name it, it's there. So mass hysteria or not, the Mothman seems to be there to stay. Now, let's move on to... The Yeti. Sources are from LiveScience.com, NationalGeographic.com, Science.org, CryptidArchives.Fandom.com, another National Geographic article, um, CNN.com, and TheGazette.com. So, let's talk about the Yeti. The Yeti is also known as the Abominable Snowman. I have a real hard time saying abominable, abominable snowman. I sometimes want to say abdominal snowman, but that's not at all what it is. So I'm just going to say it's the Yeti <laughs> to save myself some embarrassment. And from you guys going, what the hell is she even saying? Because, you know, we all love that. All right, so the Yeti is a creature in ancient legends and folklore of the Himalayan people. In most of the tales, the Yeti is a figure of danger. Hmm. The moral of the stories about the Yeti is to 
be a warning to avoid dangerous wild animals and stay close and safe within your community. So like, don't go out in the Himalayan mountains, right? Is that what you mean? <laughs> so back in the day, this was 326 BC, Alexander the Great demanded to see a Yeti when he conquered the Indus Valley. But according to National Geographic, local people told him that there was no way they could just present one because the creatures could not survive at a low altitude. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So during modern times, when the Westerners started traveling to the Himalayas, the myth was very sensationalized. So in 1921, a journalist named Henry Newman interviewed a group of explorers who had just returned from Mount Everest. Oh, geez. The explorers told the journalists that they had discovered some very large footprints on the mountain to which their guides had attributed to, quote, man, bear, snowman. Hmm. Crazy, right? So Newman got the snowman part right. But when he was translating what the locals said, instead of man, bear, it was filthy. So, yeah. That's when he changed the name to Abominable, Abominable Snowman because he thought it would be more menacing in his paper. And this is where the legend was born. Uh, yep. <laughs> so it's not really clear what sightings of the Yeti have been real or hoaxes or just misidentifiers because... Think about all of the wild creatures that live in the mountains in Himalaya. Like, mm, there's a lot, and they're big, and there's snow. Yeah, so let that roll around for a minute. So in the Bigfoot community, there were pictures that were seized, and uh, John Napier had taken some of these pictures, and he had served as the Smithsonian Institute's director of primate biology. And so he claimed that he had seen the Yeti, had pictures of the Yeti, but then people were like, oh, maybe it's Bigfoot. Bigfoot, Yeti, they kind of seem the same, right? Yeah, except Bigfoot, I think, is more out here than out in the Himalayas. I don't know. We'll talk about Bigfoot again next time, maybe. So... In 1960, Sir Edmund Hillary was the first man to scale Mount Everest, and he was searching for evidence of the Yeti. He found what he claimed to be was a scalp from the beast. Even though scientists later determined that it was made from a Himalayan animal that's similar to a goat. So there's that. In 2007, an American television host called John Gates claimed that he had found three mysterious footprints in the snow near a stream in the Himalayas. Mm -hmm. And the locals were really suspect of him, and they told him that that was a black bear. It wasn't a Yeti. So, yeah, I don't know. In 2010, hunters in China caught a strange animal that they claimed was the Yeti. And it was examined by researchers, researchers in Edinburgh Zoo in 2011. The evidence came back that it was probably human. 
Yeah, I don't, mm, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> so Russians then started searching for the Yeti and they took an interest in it in 2011. They even organized a conference of Bigfoot experts in Western Siberia. Hmm. So one of these experts claimed that he saw evidence that not only did the Yeti exist, but it also builds nests and shelters out of tree branches. Hmm. So he said, when you see those things in the forest, that means you're super close to the Yeti. Interesting. Although he said all of this, there was another Bigfoot scientist that told him he was wrong and that these nests were made by other creatures and it was not a Yeti and they, they didn't have any proof. So lots and lots of lots of things are just not adding up um, for the Yeti to be real. So there have been DNA samples taken in the Himalayas of different creatures. And long story short, in 2017, a group of researchers went out to get some Yeti specimens and they got nine different specimens that included bones, tooth, skin, hair, and fecal matter. Yep. So all of these things were found on different caves and different sites in the Himalayas and the Tibetan plateau. They also collected samples from bears in the area because they wanted to compare and contrast. So of the nine quote Yeti samples, eight were from Asian black bears, Himalayan brown bears, or Tibetan brown bears. And the ninth was from, yep, you guessed it, a big dog. <laughs> oh, yep. Crazy, right? So true believers and then uh, in the Yeti feel that they will at least find this creature one day. Um, one day. Real or not. Maybe I'll find it. Huh. Clearly my coffee is not working. Um, and I just wanted to direct you guys to, oh, uh, I don't know. Check out one of the websites that I mentioned because there's a lot of different, um, what's around the hoaxes that were, done to try to get people to believe that the Yeti was real. They found some fake scalps and they're like, oh, it's a Yeti scalp. Or, oh, it's a Yeti foot. But again, science and DNA technology decided, nope, you were wrong. These are all hoaxes. So that's all about half on those. Like I said, I was going to be short and sweet because I'm feeling lazy and I just have a lot going on. And I don't want to stare at the computer. But I love talking to all of you. And like I said, I will be around after my Labor Day trip. And I will have another cryptid episode. Dun, 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 dun. Until then, check me out on Instagram. It's Lattes and Legends. Facebook is Lattes and Legends Podcast. Twitter exists. Or you can email me at lattesandlegends at gmail.com. As far as the book is going, I'm still working on it. And it's happening. So I'm really excited. It is part of the reason why I'm so busy. And it will be grand when I'm done with it. So I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Have a wonderful week. 
Have a wonderful Labor Day, and I will talk to you probably the week after Labor Day. Thanks. Bye.